once again. This is Nuance. As always, I am Mike Scala, joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Uh, getting started. Good morning here. Yes, as the sun is about to go down, you work maybe a little bit more now that it's beginning of the summer. We get more sunlight, but, you know, mornings for you and we're in the evening here in New York. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on with you? Ah, uh, working, trying to get this music stuff done. Really excited about this project. I hear that. That's what's up. That's definitely what's up. So yeah, we talked about those <laughs> high pass filters <laughs> to run the vocals through and everything. All this technical stuff. Sometimes you gotta do get, get those mixes just right, but. You know, that's important. When you spend all that time working on the music, you want to make sure it's presented in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's oftentimes like you as the as the artist, you're going to hear something that someone else won't hear and it can drive you crazy. Right. Yeah. Because someone else might be able to hear. I mean, maybe most people won't, but you know there's someone out there who can hear what you're hearing and you just want to present it presented in the best way, right? Right, right. Um. So something again, now I was going to say, yeah, like a, it could even be like an inflection. It could be uh, a way you said a word that you're not comfortable with. Um, it could be a frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I think I've noticed in my voice, it's like a, a frequency in my voice at around the 15,000 uh, range that just kind of irritates me through when it comes through the microphone uh, and a recording. So I have to always go in and adjust that a little right. bit. Right. Or it could be a P pop too loud, a T that's hitting too hard, a syllable yeah. that's too loud. Maybe you said a rhyme. The next rhyme you intended it to hit the same way, but you said that second word much too loud. So now you're manually trying to lower it and all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Um, I did see something online that was interesting. I think I sent it to you a while back. They were asking if you would rather have... Forty million dollars, the forty million friends. Was that what it was? I forget the exact. It was something like that. It was. I don't know if it was forty, but it was. It was that was the exact premise. It's like, yeah, do you want these? This amount of friends or this amount of dollars? Yeah, I think it was. It was we can go four with forty. It might have been four million, maybe four million dollars or four million loyal friends. That might have been it. Yeah, we we can go with that. Yeah. It's interesting to me as a little thought experiment because I think a lot of people's first inclination is to be like, what am I going to do with so many friends anyway? I'll just take the money. But then if you think about it a little bit deeper, you start to say, well, if the goal is the money, you could end up with more money if you had the loyal friends. But let's assume that they're loyal enough to support your business, right? Now you sell them all something for a dollar, you already made, the, made up that money. So there's that. Right. Then you start to think about it even deeper and you think, yeah, but that's a lot of work. I mean, how are you going to contact 4 million people, even if they are your friends? Like, <laughs> maybe the money is better. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of go back and forth, I think, depending on how deeply you start thinking about it. And yeah. money isn't even, isn't even the, the goal, right? Maybe you just want friends. But 4 million is a lot of them. And just because they're loyal doesn't mean they're not difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Um I, I my initial reaction was yeah take the friends um because i mean if you get a, if you can get a dollar from each of them then you got the you got the same amount of money 
Like, right. It's like their lawyer, like, hey, can I, can I, can I get a dollar? <laughs> and then, yeah, but you know, so you let's that. unpack that. First of all, yes, I think that is a thought that you have, but do you typically go around asking your friends for dollars? I mean, you're only doing this to try to make up the money that you lost from the initial offer, right? Right, right. But I mean, like you said, if the goal is the money, yeah, then if you go that route and you do ask each friend for a dollar, now you've got now you've got the four million dollars and you've got the friends with right. the other way you just have the money you have no friends i mean you can i'm sure people will gravitate to you because you got four million dollars but they might not be people that are there for the right reasons but think about the logistics of that how long is it going to take to ask and receive right dollar from four million people even if they are loyal to you right right I mean, that I does get a an effort. <laughs> yeah, right. Sit down and send 4 million texts or make 4 million calls. Use MailChimp. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but with that big of a list, you can get a lot of spam filters. <laughs> yeah, not to mention the, the monthly bill is going to be stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you, now do you need like to hire full-time workers to hit up all these loyal friends? I mean, it does seem like it's becoming a big project. Right. Well, million dollars is, is just there, right? Immediately. Let's think about this. If you've got four million loyal friends, right? And they might also can, ask you for money. I think we can also assume if they're loyal, that a, a good portion is going to be checking for you and what you do. So, you not if they know there are three million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine others. Yeah, but you could put up a video saying you know let me get a dollar or something or you could put up a product like you said a product to sell for a dollar and I then think you have to contact them directly. if you here's the thing if you put up a video because i've seen an iteration of this in politics people have this idea that other people are doing what they're being asked of so like if you send an email to a thousand friends asking them to make a donation it's not that they don't want to give a donation, but they're thinking it's not so urgent that they do it because probably a lot of other people did. Right, right. If you contact them directly, then they think it's a a one to one. It's a one to one thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Um, Jennifer in the chat said, "Go fund me." That's another way to to collect the funds as well. Do go fund me, but don't you still yeah. have to contact all those people and ask that they contribute to your go fund me or put it before them somehow? I mean, Facebook only gives you five thousand friends. You got four million people to get to. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I mean, you know, could you have had four million friends in MySpace days? I mean, I didn't think they. I don't think there was a limit, stuff. was it? I don't know. I don't think so. No, are I they think, all following you? Are, are they following you on Twitter or Instagram? Are these four million people following you on social media? Even if they are, do you really think they're all seeing everything that you post? And like I no. said, are even if they're a loyal friend, are they going to see a tweet from you and think? Right urgent enough that they contribute when they think in their heads, probably he's got millions of friends. I'm sure hundred thousand people are giving him money. I'll, I'll get to him when I get to him, but I'm sure he's good. Right. Right. Everyone is thinking that. Right. And that slows it down. Right. So a product would be good, a digital product. So you don't have to manufacture. So it could be music. It could be, you know, yeah. uh, eBooks or, or something. Um, dropship t-shirts like uh, um, print on demand type of thing those are possible and it's less because you know if you're trying to service four million orders like you're going to go insane that's what i'm saying it's this is a big operation now this reminds me of collecting those bottles to get the fighter jet that we talked about right 
at first or, they were like, oh, this is great. We'll get a fighter jet by just drinking Pepsi. And before they knew it, they were renting warehouses and hiring staffs and everything. Right, right. So, and then, well, the opposite is to say, okay, well, let's just get the $4 million. And I'm, you know, I've already got my, my set of friends now. Right. What do I need that, that these other friends? Four million loyal friends. That's a lot. And honestly, to have four million loyal friends, that's a lot of time and energy that you probably have to spend to keep up those friendships. Maybe. <laughs> or are we stipulating that they're just loyal to you without anything in return? Uh, because those I mean, four people are going to be asking you for a lot of things too, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. They're going to contact, come conversation. You know, um, there's also imagine running a, a, a political campaign. You got four million loyal friends. You're probably going to win. That. You can run for governor. You can run for president. <laughs> loyal friends. You have a whole you're army. Yeah. So you're probably going to win. Um, so, you know, that's an option. Unless they're all in another country or something. and They can't really. Do <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're in New York and like your four million friends are like somewhere in like Asia. And, right. You know europe yeah it's like yeah it doesn't help me in this uh, campaign and then what if all four million people were presented with the same question and now all four million people are asking all of their four million friends for money mm -hmm. what do you mean so what if four million people that you chose to be your friends all have that same idea basically they're all coming to you and they're like can i get a dollar can i get ten dollars now you have four million people asking for money Right. Yeah. So it's not as cut and dry as it appears on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Did I you mean, decide what you would do ahead in terms of the money. I think just taking the money is a simpler way to go. Yeah. Much simpler. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's logistically and, and like you said, hassle wise. <laughs> practically, just, yeah. Practically. Um, and then you've already got your friends and your family. It's already around you. Right. Now you've got right. four million dollars that you can use for yourself and for for them. You know, if that's million friendship sounds like a problem. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound, you know what I mean? Like it sounds great. You have four million people loyal to you, but you're talking about four million friendships. Like those are relationships that need to be kept up and worked on, right? That's true too. That's true too. So what did you decide? What would you choose? Well, Jennifer. A genie didn't actually come to me and present this. I wish they would have, but it didn't really happen. Alas. What would you choose? <laughs> I don't know. I think I would have to be the lawyer and ask what the terms and conditions of these friendships were. Like, what does it mean? Because it's who has right. 14 loyal friends? What does that really mean? Right. And what, is, what are the expectations here? Right, right, right. I, I think that, that's, that's the prudent way to do it. That's like... Um, it's like that story of like the genie and the lamp, right? When people ask for a wish yeah. uh, and they get it, but they don't get it exactly what they're thinking because they didn't right. work out what the stipulations are. They're yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, make me, make me super rich. Well, okay, yeah, you're you're super rich, but you're super rich in flowers now. Like, right. it's not the exactly. Whole thing is like, I'll give you three wishes. You're like, okay, I'm gonna game the system by saying my wish is to get an unlimited number of wishes. And like. Nah, you should have read the fine print that wasn't allowed. <laughs> now you get nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, what about James, Jennifer in the chat? These are the ones that I can see in there. What, what would you choose? Four million dollars or four million friend, loyal friends? Yeah. yeah, let's see some answers. So, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that now. I first thought the friends. I'm thinking the money now. Yeah. <laughs> so you thought the friends? Interesting. Because you thought that you were going to be able to make even more money. Well, I was thinking. I, would just, I didn't really think about the contact. It was just more like, in the context of the question, what you know, what would be better? Uh, the idea that having to do the logistics of contacting each one is just like, oh, well, you know, you got four million friends, you just automatically have right. a way to contact them. But it's still four million. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's quite a lot. But I don't know. Think about that. Also, practically speaking, if you were to give person A four million dollars and person B four million loyal friends and say, now contact these four million loyal people and get a million dollars for get four million dollars out of them. How long do you think it would take person B to get what person A got? I mean, in that time, person A could have invested that first four million and probably made a lot more. Yeah. Now, there's also here's the thing is. It doesn't even have to be like asking those four million friends for money. Let's say you got four million loyal friends and you decide to, again, you say you start a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. right? Um, you'd get theoretically, you'd get monetized very quickly because you've got four million people that are going to subscribe and watch your oh, yeah. your stuff sure. constantly. You've got a steady stream of income right there. If your goal is income at this point, right. so and that's how I would do it. Products, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't just ask them for money. I wouldn't be like, give me five bucks. I would yeah. try to sell them my album or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but four million dollars immediately—that's life-changing money on the spot. Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about as well. I mean, but four million friends is also life changing. Yeah, that's that's pretty true. That's pretty true. Um, we got uh, Jennifer saying money is the easy way, as you said. James said, "Show me the money." I don't know four million people. <laughs> <laughs> and do you want to know four million people? Also? Do you want? I mean, you know, I don't. It's it's an interesting proposition, you know. Yeah. So birthday parties would be nice, lots of gifts. That's true too. That could, be a, that could be that could be a logistic married. nightmare too, though. That's true. Inviting them all. But if you no. get married, let's say, and invite all four million people, first of all, you need to rent out, I don't know what kind of place would hold four million people. There's no place that would, right? But if you were to somehow get four million people at your wedding, if you think about them all bringing you a gift, there you go. No, I'm thinking birthday, they're the gift thing, right? Imagine getting a gift from four million different people. Like logistically, that's a nightmare too. That's a headache. Four million people, four million gifts show up at your your house at one time. That's like you four million thank you cards you have to handwrite. Good luck. <laughs> and and four million things you have to deal with. Like, how do I get rid of this? Where do I put all this stuff? Where that's what I'm saying, it? right? Like four million <laughs> friends sounds like a problem. <laughs> that's possible. Friendship takes work. Yeah. Oh so. boy. And they're not all going to respect your boundaries, Jonah Hill. Oh, are we going to get into that? I think we can get into it a little bit. A little bit. I think. Yeah. I think. It, yeah. So for people not aware, because everyone is talking about this, and I find it kind of fascinating to get people's opinions on it. So right. So share screen that screenshot, which I don't know if that makes us part of the problem, because honestly. I was kind of taken aback by the very fact that a private message was shared like that, but it is right. in the public now and everyone's talking about it. And, and so for, for people not aware, um, apparently right now what's going, what's been going viral, viral this past week is Jonah Hill's ex-girlfriend has shared old text messages from him, um, where he's 
he's saying he's setting boundaries and other people are saying that he's trying to be manipulative and controlling in their relationship and so the he she's sharing this text message and it's not just this one like we the, what we were looking at there was there was one but there's like 10 15 more and these were from the 2021 i believe right and i think another aspect and I, I might not have it completely clear but it sounded like she waited to share these until his current girlfriend was giving birth or something like that oh is that what it was yeah i was wondering why they were coming out now right so like she just like they've been apart i guess for this whole time but he's got another girlfriend and they're going through something and so she's sharing this now like so like why what's the point well and should that be part of the conversation because i'm not seeing that now admittedly i'm not looking at everyone's commentary on this but i am seeing it pop up on all the social media feeds so i'm getting little bits of it but shouldn't that be the conversation or at least a bigger part of it why is that cool to do right for someone's private messages years later or really at any time but you know you're waiting a couple of years and you're putting old text messages online for everyone to see i mean isn't that a betrayal of someone's trust absolutely absolutely you know and and you know if it's a, if it's if you're not even in the relationship anymore why are you putting that out there what's what's the purpose what's the point you know especially if he's in a a happy relationship with someone else you know and if what i saw was true where like you know his current girlfriend or is pregnant or going or giving birth or whatever like why would you interfere in that what well, that that makes that kind of makes her seem a little jaded in in that regard but again you know i don't know and you were the one that put me up on it. I had no idea what was going on. Oh, really? Yeah. I kept seeing it. And people keep saying that he's misusing the word boundary. And I found that to be interesting. But I saw someone claim that this was therapy language he was using. So they said it seemed manipulative because it was like he was using words that a psychologist would use, but he's not really using them the right way or he's using them in a manipulative or controlling way. That's what people right. say. Right so yeah so he sent i guess they were going through, through something and um he sent her a text in their text message conversation he's saying what he doesn't like her doing right and a few of the things he didn't want her posting um swimsuit pictures on her her uh, social media he didn't want her putting sexual pictures on her social media uh inappropriate relationships with with men um he didn't want her to do modeling. Um, I think there was one other thing I don't remember. Um, and he's saying that, look, if if you want to do these things, that's great. If these things make you happy, that's great. I'm fine with it. I support you, but I can't be with we can't be with together. Like I'm not the guy for you. And right. so that was her her his text message. And so people are taking sides saying, well, this is very manipulative and controlling. And other people are saying, how he's just setting his his boundaries right. where he deal with in a relationship and so that's where where people are back and forth on it yeah and see with me i was trying not to get too deep into the specifics of what his demands were what his wishes were because like i don't know what he's even referring to i don't know what their relationship was like whatever but i think that's really a subjective thing i mean it's really about what makes you comfortable in a relationship and that goes for both parties so i think as a general premise both parties should be able to express what they're comfortable with and what they're not and neither one has to be with the other if they don't like it you know so i don't really see that as being a bad thing inherently i think some of it is 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 how it was how it was one-sided it was more about what she had to do 
um, and not anything that included him. So it's like, uh, okay, this you have to do this to make this relationship work. Yeah, but she um, can say also, the same thing to him, right? She can say, you could. I don't like that about what you do. I don't want to be with you if you do this. Yeah, she definitely could. Um, also, there was there was a, a little bit of context that I did see because, you know, once you put it, sent it to me, like I started looking into it a little bit more. Um, apparently, when they met, I mean, her profession is professional surfing instructor. Yeah. And that's what she was doing when they met. That's her livelihood. And so, you know, being in bikinis and bathing suits and around, you know, opposites, people of the opposite sex, opposite sex sure. is going to be part of her, her career. And that's what sure. she was doing when they met. So for him to come be in this relationship now and say, you can't do right. Right. Your, what you do. That's that is kind of a controlling thing. That's well, not really. It, a, well, it seems objectively speaking, very unreasonable to think about right. you with someone who does this for a living or whatever. And right. say she can't do that anymore. But from her perspective, she can just say, okay, well, but this is what I do. And I value doing this more than I value this relationship, unfortunately for you. Yeah. And I'm going right. to, there's no, you know, right? there's nothing stopping her from doing that. So I still don't right. see why he's not allowed to express what his desires. I agree. That's like a, a weird thing and seems unreasonable to, to demand of someone if that's the case. But again, right. he, I think he's allowed to say what he would feel comfortable with. And she's allowed to say what she would feel comfortable with. And either they come to an agreement or they don't, you know? Right. Right. And and there was a, a message at the bottom of that and that one specific text message. And he, he said something that kind of alluded to something maybe happening prior that made oh, yeah, there was sort definitely of something going on there that caused trust trust issues. Right. He said something about this. And they were what, also from what I heard, they were in couples therapy. And so, I mean, something right. like was going on probably wasn't the healthiest relationship in the first place. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they were in couples therapy. Matter of fact, he put out a, a documentary that he he produced in conjunction with his therapist about therapy. And okay. uh, I did look at some of the other messages. Apparently, um, the therapist got her to agree. I saw that, that anytime a, a a man like while they were surfing, if a man came up near her, that that she agreed to swim away from him. That's just, that's, that's, that's just weird. Yeah, like yeah, that's, that's weird. I'm not an expert in therapy, but it doesn't seem like a very good therapist. No, that does that does not. That that does sound more controlling in that regard. Like you can't even if someone comes in your vicinity of the opposite sex, like you have to swim away. Like what? Especially from the therapist's part. Yeah. Right. And then then again, that's if we're believing what she's saying. We don't we don't know the other side, but that's what she's saying yeah. that yeah. But I mean, it's an interesting question also, because where do you draw the line between setting boundaries and being controlling, as they say? I mean, right. a relationship and something about what the other person is doing is upsetting or making you uncomfortable. Are you not allowed to communicate that? Are you not allowed to say, I, I'm sorry, I can't be with someone who does these things? I mean, at what point does that cross the line into being controlling? Right. And, when, and generally, the difference is, is that um like setting boundaries is generally seen as you setting something that you won't do or is not acceptable to you whereas controlling is you trying to set something that they can't do yeah but is it something it's a blurred line do. it's a little semantic and it's a blurred line because if you're saying like oh if you, adults. if you go out and do this i can't be with you it's still kind of him setting the boundary but at the same time, telling her what she shouldn't do. 
Kind of. Oh, but, but I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of blurred. The thing is, they're both adults, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be a consensual relationship. And so no one is forcing anyone to do anything. Right. If she doesn't like what he's saying, she can bounce and he can bounce if he doesn't like what he's, she's doing what she's saying. I mean, so right. you can really control anyone unless you allow yourself to be controlled, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and and he did say in there, look, if this is what you're into, then and it makes you happy. I support you. I just can't be. I'm just not the guy for you. Right. And I think so, some people are maybe casting judgment on the context of what he was saying, not so much the act of him saying, I can't be with someone who makes me uncomfortable in these ways. But I think they were looking at his list of things and trying to yeah. judge each point by how reasonable they were. Right. Because if right. it was something that I think people agreed with, then they, maybe they would take his side on it. And I wasn't trying to judge either way what the list was, the content of his list. I was just more looking at it from the perspective of, is it acceptable to tell someone I'm not comfortable in this relationship under these parameters? Um, you might look at it like an ultimatum. You might think that that's not fair, but from the other side, maybe the person might appreciate you telling them, basically, this is a warning. Like I would just break up with you, but I don't think you want me to break up with you. So I'm telling you I'm about to, if this doesn't change. Yeah. Um, I would I would like to talk with uh, get a, a therapist or psychologist to, to make this not that this, one, <laughs> not that one, not that one to make the differentiation like very clear. Like, how do you because ultimately, if you boil down either way, the result is still the same. Right. If this doesn't change, mm -hmm. we can't be together. It doesn't matter how you ask what you say. If you say, you know, right. this makes me feel uncomfortable when you are uh as my girlfriend on there and you're in these clothes and and, and whatever you have your butt's all out uh this makes me feel uncomfortable whatever but or you say yeah if you put that on there i'm i can't be with you yeah. ultimately the goal the, the point is still the same it's just you're saying it a little different so maybe there's something that we're missing in, in or, the way yeah i mean some might say he should just break up with her that but i don't know if everyone would appreciate someone just breaking up with you as opposed to trying to talk to you about it first right um oh, and i think the fact that you said like, you know, like this is what she did and he's basically saying now you can't do what you do you can't be who you are i think that really was getting wrong that's just a weird thing but again like yeah. i don't know the ins and outs of that relationship and everything that was said and discussed and, you know I don't, yeah. I don't know them but you know that yeah. itself does seem unreasonable right you know yeah like i was telling you once you know someone would be smoking in my car, like blowing smoke in my face. Like that didn't make me comfortable. And I would say, you know, please don't smoke in my car. Please. I don't want to be around someone who's smelling like smoke all the time. Who's always blowing smoke in my face. I thought that that was appropriate to communicate that. Like, listen, if you want to do that, fine. I'm not going to try to stop you. I'm just saying, I don't want to be around. I don't want to be in that kind of relationship, you know, which to me, maybe the content of what they were arguing about was different, but taking a step back, it seemed like he was trying to do something similar by saying, if you want to do this thing that I don't like, that's on you. I just don't want to be around it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I listened to a couple of different uh, uh, people giving their opinions on it. Like, yeah, you, you sent me on like a good 30 minute spiral into this thing. Um, and I don't, I, I didn't get a sense that it was very clear on, on what the line was here. Um, people just didn't seem to to like that he told her that he didn't like that um and is she entitled to a relationship with the guy who doesn't like what she's doing um 
not entitled. She has the the option to leave. Yeah. You know, um, I did see now again, some of it can be part of the context because some one of the other messages that he he sent, um, he was talking, I guess, about, you know, long term wanting to do wanting to have a long term relationship. And he's, you know, um, talking about, you know, we need to do basically be more mature in certain things or whatever. But he also said, listen, I've got my stuff, too, that I'm dealing with. Um, so it sounded like he even took into account some of whatever his issues are, but again, there's, I'm sure there's a lot to the story that we don't know. Right. But also it goes back to why is this private business out there in the public in the first place? That's a question. That's a question. I don't think anyone's really asking, like, why would she even post that? Yeah. You know, like yeah you don't you don't do that what's the point of it especially you guys aren't in a relationship anymore it's been i guess a year or two or whatever it is you know why why do you have to feel the need to put that out there i mean unless people truly believe this is predatory and dangerous behavior and like she's doing the public uh, service by warning them not to get involved with this monster i mean if that's what they think is that bad well um, that the only way that would be because she's the one who released them yeah would be is if maybe she saw him doing something with his current girlfriend or other girls that or other women that um seems to be you know like you said predatory or or whatever and she's like okay look he's got a pattern here look at this right but then you could also just warn those women on the side and i post it publicly yeah yeah there there's there's this definitely an aspect to that like I think part of that plays into him being famous. Right. Yeah. Because she could have, yeah, she could have just reached out to whoever he's dating now and be like, hey, look, um, you know, keep an eye out. Um, Jennifer in the chat brought that up. Maybe she shared these messages now because she's trying to look out for the new girl. Once a woman has a baby with a man, it's not easy to leave him. If he is like that with one woman, he would do it with all his women. Yeah, but he she could have reached out to her directly instead of putting it out in the public where it's going to hit the tabloids and the news and social media and put his you know that private business out in the public that's there's definitely some kind of other aspect there so well i'm interested in responses yeah and i would like to again that distinction of i think that's an interesting one the lines are a little bit blurred as far as setting boundaries and and being seen as manipulating the other person i'd like to hear a professional um clarify that point yeah right. here's the here's the there's the te- one of the texts that's the first one that i saw right this is the one that most people are, are really going in on mm-hmm. um and and this sparked if you look on on you know on the internet this sparked a lot of i guess think pieces in several different news publications about the misuse of therapists speak right right and you can read it here like you know if these things bring you to a place of happiness i don't go to therapy but i can imagine these phrases being used in therapy right yeah and my boundaries these are my boundaries for my romantic partnership this is all therapist language and places yeah i can see that being a term right and so this type of language 
is being misused. And these articles were talking about how this language is being misused in public dialogue now and in interpersonal relationships when these are supposed to, these are therapist type of languages. People are using them for purposes that maybe they weren't intended to, or they're um, kind of twisting them a little bit to, to get their own needs met. Right. Um, but is the word boundaries being misused there? And if so, how? Because I look at that like a subjective thing. So how could you tell him what his boundaries can or can't be? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good point. Um, if, you know, he might be unreasonable to 99% of people, but that's up to his partner to decide if they want to operate that from him or not, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, I was, they're not together, so it seemed to me like, you know, it was probably for the best. Um, right. And just and just move on. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I would be I would be interested in hearing from a professional on what's what's the the clear distinction between, you know, setting boundaries and being manipulative. Right. You know, and can we just get to the point, like going back to the smoking in my car? Do I have to say it would make me comfortable if you didn't smoke in my car? Okay, maybe that would, but they're still going to smoke in my car unless the hell I want them to. Right? <laughs> Right. And it is funny. I had that saying, I, I told you briefly that I, I did this exercise with chat GPT in that same yeah. regard. Oh yeah. yeah. So and, talk about that. Right. And so I was like, okay, well let's see. I told you, you sent me on a spiral on this thing. Um, and so I said, well, this is the message people on there are people on both sides. Um, what's the assessment here? And it came up back with this, there are elements of this being controlling and manipulative. And so my point was that, okay, um, but if he's setting his boundaries, how is this being controlling manipulative? Um, and, it, and it was more about what is the, the general logic is that he's setting things that she has to do instead of what he is, is going to do. Um, is and he kind so, of saying in a nice way, I'm going to break up with you? It's generally, it, from the sense that I got with that conversation was that it's more about the tone right and how you say it and and they kept saying it kept saying that he it was more about focusing on her and her failures and her lack instead of on something that they could do together or that they could discuss together you know maybe we need to discuss um about how this makes me feel or how this makes you feel or something in that regard That's and something, i'm like yeah i mean i i so, didn't hear that when i was younger I guess people still use this construction. Like they would say, if you're going to talk to someone, don't talk about what they did. Talk about how it makes you feel. You right. Know, and like, like when you do this, I feel disappointed or something like that, as opposed to just saying like, you shouldn't do this. Right. And so that was kind of the, the gist of it. And so I, I brought in this, this concept of soft boundaries and hard boundaries, right? Cause there are soft boundaries that are pliable that, you know, you could, be uncomfortable with, but you can live with. But there are hard boundaries that you just will not tolerate. You know, for example, if you discover your partner is shooting up heroin, right? right that's a and that's a hard boundary for you. I will not be in a relationship with right. you if you keep doing heroin. That's a great point that you just brought up. So, and that's why I think people are focusing on the content of his little bullet points there, as opposed right. to you know, primary stuff. Because what if you put that in there? What if right. the message was exactly the same, but those little bullet points were, you know, when you shoot up heroin, when you go and you you, you run over ducks on purpose, like like all these like terrible things, things that we, we agree are not 
positive attributes, right? right. And, and then you put, uh, these are my boundaries. I can't be in a relationship with someone who does these things. Would people still be calling him controlling and manipulative at that point? Right. And I think that that's part of it where people are looking at what they might find agreeable or disagreeable, right? Or reasonable or unreasonable. Right. Her doing, her being a surfer, a surf instructor and having pictures on her Instagram and her bathing suit is not unreasonable. It's right. kind of par for the course. It's kind of right. what comes with the territory. She's right. going to be in her bathing suit the majority of her day. Right. Um, so that's normal. Um, so I think some of that plays into it. Yeah. Um, and my, 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 my thought process with this, or at least my conversational path with this was it okay. So I said, why don't you rewrite this in a way that's not manipulative? Um, and that would not serve that purpose of manipulation, but does set the boundary. So it rewrote it. And it was more of like what you, you mentioned, like, uh, this is how it makes me feel or we should come together and talk about this we should you know and i said well this sounds more like a negotiation yeah. but what if these are his hard boundaries and do you want to catch her do you want her to be caught off guard if you're making it sound like it's not as urgent to you as it really is right, right. like hey maybe we should talk about this a little bit maybe she doesn't want to talk about it you know next thing you know he just breaks up and then she's like you know how come you didn't warn me you, you weren't happy in a relationship like because yeah. i tried to but i, I used too soft language right right and so that was kind of the gist of it i'm like i was like okay i get that so the way he said it the way that you wrote it i had it in several iterations uh i said but the ultimate the ultimate core to this is that if this behavior continues then he doesn't want to be in the relationship as it doesn't matter how you say it the right. core is still exactly the same one's just saying it in a in a different tone than the other I was like, how is that any different than, you know, a boundary or, or manipulation? And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you're right. That that point is, is you know, the same, um, but it's important in, in this to have certain types of communication. So it, according to ChatGPT, it basically boiled down to how you delivered the message. And I'm laughing because now we're asking AI to help solve our psychological issue, which is scary. Oh, we're going to we're going to get there. Believe me, we're going to get there. We've, we've already got them writing our bills, which is right. what we're going to get into. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think, again, I think it's, it, it's, there are going to be different aspects to this. I would love to talk to a professional and hear how they um, differentiate these things. I think part of it has to do with the actions themselves, how people find them, whether they're agreeable or disagreeable or they're reasonable or not reasonable. I think it has to do with some of the context of the background as far as this was her profession. Um, so that's a kind of an, uh, is an unreasonable ask that comes to that, that I don't know if you'd say age old, but that common one, like what if you date a porn star, do you ask them to stop doing porn after you start hey, dating? That's, that's an age old question. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. It's not, I, I don't know if it's age old, but it's a, it's, you know, it's a common thing. Like, okay. Do you, hey, in the chat, if you let me know. A, have you heard this one before? If you date a porn star, if you, if she's a porn star, when you met her or a stripper, yeah. Yeah. when you met, when you met her, is it fair for you to ask her to stop stripping once you start dating? Because now you're uncomfortable because you know now it's you're your, getting yourself into to some degree. There's an aspect of that, right? Yeah. Um, And I think it's also has to do with, you know, it could be a little bit of nitpicking on her behavior. Um, and cause he did say in there, he said, um, 
basically, if you feel the need to have inappropriate relations with relationships with men, okay, well, how are you determining an inappropriate relationship? Are you judge? Are you the judge of what's an inappropriate relationship for me? But again, like, is it you always though? Isn't this always subjective because it's a relationship? So it should be about what both parties feel comfortable about. I don't know if you can put rules on that because then you're saying yeah. that they have to subject themselves to something they don't like, but why should they? Yeah. But I mean, there could also be this point of like, well, I just don't want you to be around men. You know, to me, that's an inappropriate relationship. You're my girlfriend. A girlfriend should not have male friends. Is that that way? Break up with them. Right. Sure. But is, is that not a, it's, it's, you know, it's not a really healthy. It's not healthy. That's definitely not healthy, but I'm just saying, I think someone's boundaries always kind of have to be subjective because what you can tolerate might be different from what someone else can tolerate. And that's fine. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'd love to pick the brain of uh, some sort of professional in this regard, and and raise these same points that we're raising. Like, how is that any different? How is this? You know, maybe we're missing something. You know, maybe it's something that that you know, it's just the way it's talked about. You know, right, right. And I really am a stranger to all these therapy terms. I don't know these phrases. I mean, you know, you can kind of use common sense in terms of what they mean, a place of happiness and unstable this, and, you know, like, right. It's pretty uh, apparent or, but then again, maybe it's not apparent because I, I would think boundaries would be self-explanatory, but people are saying that he's using it wrong. Right. And, and, you know, people saying this is controlling and manipulative. I think there's a little bit of a blurred line here, or there is some, amb- or some, some debatable nature of this, which obviously, because this is what we're, we're talking about yeah. um, versus something like, your your partner saying if you break up with me i'm going to kill myself right mm-hmm. that's very manipulative yeah. right that's controlling your behavior because now it puts it on you to oh my god this is going to be my fault versus where he's saying look if this is how you behave then maybe i'm not the person for you i support you but maybe I'm not the especially because you're not really going to kill yourself you're just saying that to make them feel bad so i can see it being manipulative in this sense if he's not really well, might. up with her well, well you might manipulative then it's just being honest right if, if you're really gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> that's not manipulative that's just telling the truth and maybe one person might want to hear that but uh but it could be i mean if you're a suicidal person and then you say that if you're and you're suicidal like, then yeah i think you should tell people you're suicidal maybe they can get you the help that you need but if you're just yeah, doing but it, it could be to make someone feel guilty and you're not really going to kill yourself you know you're all yeah, talking maybe, about it, and that's that's clearly manipulative right but I'm saying that, like a parallel could be drawn there where maybe he sure. wasn't really going to break up with her, but he was threatening to break up with her to try to change her behavior. That I think is much more easily seen as controlling and manipulative. But if he truly yeah. does intend to end the relationship, I'm not sure how it's manipulating her when he's just saying honestly where he's at. Right. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, one other aspect to it, and I don't know if that even makes any, any difference, is that there was, I think, a 25 year age gap between the two. Um, really? so, who was so yeah, yeah, he was much older. He was, um, I wonder how old he is. He must be okay. Yeah, he was much older. I think it was 20, 25. She was, she was in her early 20s. Um, and because one of the other messages he said is like, yeah, that's not, you know, this has nothing to do with the age gap. Basically, trying to tell her to be more mature and conduct herself in a, in a, a better manner. Um, for if they're going to be long term. Um, so I don't know how much that plays into it as well, you know. But it seems that, you know, maybe she's in that point in her life where she's still 2025. 20, you're still trying to party. You're trying to hang out. You're, you're around people and whatnot. If, if, if there's a 20 year age gap, you know, he's 45, 50. 
you know, he wants to chill. He wants to hang, he wants to hang back. You know, maybe a business is more on his mind at this point. You know, he's a professional in that regard, too. You know, he's got an image to look after. He does, True. you know. By the way, so, that be something kind of off topic, but a friend of mine once said that she tries to see her boyfriend five times a week. And I was just taken aback. Like, how do you see someone five times a week if you're focused on business or, you know, maybe you're not. But like to, to me, like, that's just so foreign to me, right? Because it's like, I always have to think about, politics my law practice and music everything else i'm doing like how do you how do you have time to see someone socially five times a week you know right that sounds but like but you know people are at different places in life right like if you're focused yeah, on right. yeah, that's going to sound overwhelming but if you're not maybe you're younger and you don't have those same priorities you can see someone every day yeah sure i mean you, you remember, remember in in your teenage years you'd get on the phone with with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you'd just be sitting there on the phone for like three hours yeah. you didn't even have to be talking some of the time you yeah. just that's true the yeah, yeah they were like you think about that now and you're like look what do you want just <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly people were like we could be on the phone for three hours and not say anything and it's beautiful let's just be like, silence on the phone like yeah yeah who has time for that now yeah, why? Why do you want to do that? Like, if we want to spend time together, like come over or or something yeah. like that. Like, so like make an appointment with my assistant, and then we'll set up. A day. <laughs> I'll squeeze you in in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's not very good. <laughs> hey, these are my boundaries. These are your boundaries. So, <laughs> if anyone knows a therapist or or anyone who'd like to come on and, and talk with us, I, I I'm curious about how they would, uh, you know, clarify that. I think it'd be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But be a, a real therapist and not someone who says you have to swim away from other men like they're sharks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. That, that makes me question the therapist and what she wanted in her, in, in connection with him. Yeah. Well, like you said, they, they, did, they did a whole movie together, right? Jonah and the therapist. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe Apparently it was there. It was, and it was about it was it was a movie about this therapy therapy and and setting boundaries. Not these particular therapy sessions, not these se sessions, okay. but about this type of topic, like setting boundaries and therapy, okay. and this apparently that's what it was about. So, well, so he's, he knows a few things, and he's now he's trying to use it. I guess I don't know. He, he knows the words, the buzzwords. Right, right. <sighs> well, was Chat GPT helpful in that? breakdown of the discussion and maybe maybe we gotta get chat gpt on here as the guest again yeah right i mean pretty soon we might have an ai therapist right absolutely um we definitely will i mean there have already been studies um i don't know about therapy specifically but ai has been uh more effective in in some ways than than medical doctors in uh diagnosing conditions um so I think we're going to see that in the future. Um, it's going to be integrated more and more with maybe AI assisting your doctor uh, in their diagnosis. You know, right? Well, they, you, they feed they feed the symptoms through and then see if AI finds something else. You know. Yeah. Speaking of AI assisted, this is what evidently happened with Assemblymember Clyde Vanell, whom we know well. He introduced what he is describing as the first bill written by AI right. the New York State Legislature as we speak. He used something called AutoGPT, which right. is like ChatGPT, but it's able to perform more research and it's a little more robust in, in certain ways. Right. Um, apparently, the AI was used to research and come up with 
this idea for the bill and then also to draft the bill. Now, he says he did go through it and he made some changes. He made sure that it was appropriate and, you know, it was cleaned up and, and, and put in the right format for the legislature and what have you. But it basically came up with the first draft of this bill after doing the research and coming up with the idea itself. He also said, interestingly, he's not sure how it came up with the bill. In other words, did it look at other state legislatures and get its idea from what other states were doing? How did it determine that this was a problem that should be solved in New York and this was a bill that it should be introducing? He doesn't know how it came to that conclusion. Maybe it could be queried. Maybe you could ask it. Why did you come up with this bill? Of all the bills that you can come up with, why this? Right. Now, it is a very simple bill. And some might even say a common sense one. I don't know. It basically just mandates that a landlord provide a copy of a tenant's lease upon the tenant requesting it in writing. And it puts some limitations on it, I think, three times a year, so you can't harass the landlord. But two or three times a year, I forget what it is. Or is it a month now? I actually forget what the limitations are. I'll, I'll pull it up. Quite excessive. Yeah. It's got a limitation on there. Um, that's really all it is, right? If the tenant asks for a copy of the lease, the landlord has to provide it. So right. I think the legislature and it's in the sponsor member, he's saying that any bill written by AI is going to be indicated as such in the sponsor's memo, which is a document that you provide when you introduce a bill. It's not the language of the bill itself, right? It won't be in the law, but it's a document that the other lawmakers get to help them determine whether to support the bill as it moves through the legislature. I think that's a good idea to have that noted in there, that it's AI. I think we going forward. Uh, uh, the more and more AI gets integrated in, into uh, our everyday life, we need to know some of these things. I think that's that's useful. Um, in regards to AutoGPT, I can give some insight on how that how that does work. Mm. So, AutoGPT is basically it's using ChatGPT, but it's using it through the API calls. And so, the way that it works, one of the limitations with ChatGPT is that. Uh, it didn't have, it does now in some cases, didn't have access to the internet um, to, to go out and search the web. Um, and it didn't have much of a memory, right? So after, you know, after several conversations, it will not, it doesn't remember basically what you what you talked to before. It does, It's a little bit longer now than it was, but at some point it didn't have it. Yeah, um, by the way, just, so, just on that point real quick, I do notice with ChatGPT sometimes it remembers like the entire conversation I had. And then sometimes it doesn't. And it'll tell me it only recognizes up to the current session. So like if you log right. down and log back in, it claims to not know from before the login. But sometimes it does actually know from before that login. So it's a little inconsistent yeah. on its memory. Yeah. Well, what, what it was is actually one person wrote this program. He sat down and wrote it. And using a, a mix of being able to connect to the, the um, ChatGPT AI, uh, API, um, using external storage uh, to, to give it a memory and giving it access to surfing the, the internet that he was able to create this auto GPT. Mm -hmm. And so what it does is you go in and you can tell auto GPT, this is, this is what I want you to do. So maybe he went in and said, find a gap in, in some of the laws in New York and don't, don't finish your task until you find something. Right. And you put in like four or five different um, goals in there on um, in directives. Right. And so it will continue to run until it reaches its goal. And so in the meantime, it's going to reason, OK, well, I, I didn't find anything in this law. Well, maybe I should check it out in, in, in this type of law. Maybe I should check it out in this this area. 
and and it will reason and it'll keep running until it's done um doesn't matter and of course it costs yeah every api call costs some kind of money so that could run up your bill depending on what it is but it's going to do go through it and and reason this out so that's what it did it looked and saw all these different types of laws it made notes and then went over those things and saw okay well maybe this okay this here this that okay well maybe we should look about this how about this and that's yeah. that's how it i find that interesting because that's exactly the process that i used when i was tasked with coming up with legislation and i would yeah. do just that right i would look to see what other states were doing i would try to find the gaps in our own law i would try to look at news stories for inspiration people coming into the office with their own personal issues maybe that's a source of legislation so i kind of like try to pull from all these different areas and see what made sense you know and it seems like an app like this is basically doing just that it's kind of processing all this information and trying to come up to uh, a solution as to what is the best way forward here and it came up with this and you see right. it on the screen here very simple right it's one two three four five six like not even seven lines um and right. here you see it it is two times in a year okay so that's the limitation two times in a year okay but it requires the landlord to provide a copy of a lease if the tenant makes a request in writing so that's the law and you see and, and, and by the way this is just introduced so it isn't the law yet it was to bill now in the assembly but What's interesting is some of these pieces of legislation are very small. And it reminds me of the conversation that we had about requiring lawmakers to write their own bills, because this would, I guess, violate that, right? If AI does it now, maybe not, because he's saying that he basically got a first draft from the AI and still was able to rewrite it or change things around. So maybe that counts as writing it himself. But the idea of outsourcing law writing, right sometimes that can be a difficult thing because these bills are not always very long they're not very involved it's not like writing a thousand pages sometimes sometimes it could be a few lines you know of something very simple and straightforward and it's kind of hard to put a limitation on who's allowed to write something that simple and an even more direct example i can think of is one of the bills i came up with in albany was simply crossing out the provision of law that had public view uh, be one of the crimes under the marijuana offenses, right? Because it used to be in New York, if you had marijuana in public view, it automatically became a crime. If you had a small amount of marijuana, but it was in your pocket, it wasn't a crime until you took it out into public view. And there were all kinds of issues with that, like police officers sometimes telling people to empty their pockets. They didn't know that they were able to say no, and they didn't want to say no to the cops telling them that, right? You can see why. So they would take it out of their pocket. Now all of a sudden it's a public view. Now all of a sudden what wasn't a crime becomes a crime. And so right. the, the bill was literally taking that public view provision in the law and crossing it out. That was it. There was no, no, no words added to it. It wasn't pages and pages of writing. It was just, here's a bill for New York state, public view provision crossed out, crossed that whole provision out of the law. That was my bill. Right. So how could you mandate that only the lawmaker is able to write that or is allowed to write that if that the idea is as simple as just crossing out a provision of law? Who wrote that? What if AI or someone else said, I want to cross out the public view provision of the marijuana law? Right. Then have to say, I'm sorry, that can never be a law in New York now because we have this prohibition that, <laughs> that says that if the lawmaker himself or herself didn't write it, it, it can't be introduced. So you do have problems. Uh, you know, I, I 
I hear what you're saying. At the same thing, I think we would want that. Definitely, human hands need to be on it. Sure, um, sure, sure. We don't, especially these are people that you elect to represent you. Um, you want to know that they're doing that work and not <laughs> outsourcing that work, right? Um, or at least that they know what's being put forth. They, okay, they know it, but that's so there are two actual bills that we had talked about the write the bills act and the read the bills act. <laughs> the read the bills one, <laughs> make sure that they actually read what they were introducing, what they were voting on, and the write the bills one, so they actually had to write it. I'm just saying that it does present challenges. But if someone comes into your office and says, I have an idea for a law, we should get rid of the public view provision of the marijuana law, which, by the way, this has been reformed since, but let's say back then someone did that. Could you then, I mean, what would you do? You would say, I, I'm sorry, because, because you came up with this idea, we, could, we can't do this anymore? No, I don't, I don't think it would preclude that. I think it'd be like, uh, or exclude that. I think it'd be, you know, okay, that's a, that's a good law. Let me, you know, let me research this and put it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you, the person as the representative and, and, you know, with those resources would have the technical ability, the, 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 you know, to know the syntax or whatever, how it's supposed they show, to be written. They show up to your office with the bill already written and put all of this just crossing out. Here's the bill. It's a copy of the, of the law as it is now with that provision crossed out. And that's what the bill would be. Yeah, I, I can see that that being uncomfortable. People show up with bills already written. Like, here, just sign this. They do, though. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. Lobbyists do it all the time. But I think some of that gets us in trouble. <laughs> right. Well, especially if they're not reading it all the way through. Right. But again, all the way through, what if it's just literally just crossing something out? I mean, and there yeah. were a lot of bills that were very simple. And this was a very simple one also, right? Right. You know, all it says is upon receipt of a request from a, a residential lessee, the lessor or their agent shall have due to furnish a copy of the lease agreement. That's really all right. it is, you know? Um, and I think that was just my point that when people think about writing legislation, sometimes they think of it like writing a book or something when it could just be a a line or just crossing something out or just changing a word. I mean, it could just be very mechanical and not this like right. literary piece of art, you know? <laughs> I think the main thing is we want, we want that representative to have gone over it and gone over it. Yeah. And actually not, not skim it, but read through it and know it sure. before putting it in. So it's just not accepting it from somebody that's not in that elected position and putting it forth. They have to know what they're they're dealing with. Like you know, the I guess I, I don't know. I keep thinking classic example, but just like a lobbyist Here's coming old through example. with a bill, <laughs> the lobbyist. right? A, a lobbyist coming through with with a bill yeah. and saying, "Here, this is what the bill says," and and then the representative is like, oh, "Okay, sure, that sounds good." And then they what they put it forth, but they never read through the the details of it. Right. No, you they know. should definitely research it. I mean, maybe just the way that that particular law was written would have to be refined to explain for something because I mean, even you start thinking refined, like, researched yeah like they should just know what they're, they're doing basically because That's even the situation where you have the bill like, like the, take this bill right it's in the assembly now currently there is no same as bill in the senate now many people know that in order to pass a law both at the federal level or in a state like new york it's got to pass both houses the same exact legislation has to pass both houses and then be signed by the executive, right? The governor, president. So in order for this to become a law, you would need a senator in Albany to introduce the same exact bill. So it will be impossible for that senator to write it. It's already written here. Right. You know, so you really can't say that every lawmaker has to write every bill 
But I agree, you should make sure that they know what they're introducing at least. Right. And the details. They, I mean, they, they need to do the research on it. Because, you know, for example, and I go back to the lobbyists, if the lobbyist says, well, here, this bill does this, and it's because this, well, they might not be telling the whole story, right? The the person that's in the elected position has a duty to go in and research all aspects of it to make sure that what they're putting forth is going to have the intended uh, results. And yeah. that's why we can't rely on a screenshot from Jonah Hill's girlfriend to really know what's going on there. Yeah, that as well. <laughs> I mean, we so. need some more research into the dynamics of that relationship. But I think as far as AI, it's going to keep happening. Auto GPT is a very powerful thing. Um, it's free um, to install and use. You install it right on your computer. Um, you just have to have your um, open AI API key. Um, and, and deal with those costs. Um, but um, yeah, we're going to be seeing more and more and more well, and more yeah. and more. And I guess that's the question we should be asking. Is this a problem? Is this a cause for concern? You know, this is the first bill, allegedly, that AI wrote. Is it going to become a problem if next year or in two years, all of the bills are written by AI, basically? We don't have legislative directors anymore or people writing bills. We just have AI writing you know, telling us what legislation we need and then writing it for us if that's the case do we even need lawmakers i think in, i i think in that case the um i, I know it's it's going to continue more people are going to use it in this way um those lawmakers are going to have to be the ones that look over it they're going to have to instead of just introducing it as is they're going to have to go and research use it as a starting point Right. And not do like the lawyer did uh, in the discussion we had prior and just brought in this this case that the that chat GPT gave him without looking into it. Right. Right. They're going to have to go through. Yeah, they're going to have to go through it. They're going to have to make sure this is viable. They're going to make sure that the information coming from the AI is correct. Right. 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 You know, so. Yeah. I mean, because it could come up with this bill and tell the lawmaker this is the greatest bill in the world. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And maybe it doesn't even make any sense. Maybe that already is the law in New York, right? And it was just right. law. And now lawmakers can have egg on their face introducing this piece of legislation that's already law. Yeah. Maybe it made a mistake. Maybe maybe it got into uh, a fictional story uh, and, and found a law within that fictional story and then thinking right. it's real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we have to... Human oh, aspect true. is going to be very important when using more of these automated tools. Right. Yeah. Now I even had a conversation with chat GPT about the recent Supreme court case that we discussed last week. And I was like, wow, mm. this is really interesting. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I, I, it's interesting, but you got to take it with a grain of salt because you don't know without verifying it yourself, if it's really giving you correct information. Right. Yeah. I think, and I'm sure I know you've done it and a lot of people do it end up having these conversations, these debates, so to speak, with with chat GPT. And it's to me, it's more of an exercise in in ways of thought. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like to try to to get it to say certain things or agree to certain things that maybe it wouldn't want to agree with mm-hmm. um, just to see if the, oh, the yeah. you can use the, the words to to steer steer it one way or another. It's good practice for a lawyer especially a trial lawyer, because I was trying to get it to admit that dinosaurs use credit cards and I was having fun with that one. Right. And, and it sounds funny, but yeah. 
if you can convince it to say something, <laughs> then, then <laughs> right, there's there's something there in, in the power of words and the power of way that you present something. Right. So well, I was like, again, the age old thing, when did you stop beating your wife? Have you heard that one? Uh, no. <laughs> we got some weird age old things. <laughs> Not saying you specifically, but you never heard that. It's like as a trap that a lawyer or someone clever might ask you. Basically, there's no right answer to that question. If it's like, a, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a way they can trap you up, and then you try to explain it. Like, hey, I asked for an explanation. I asked you when you stop being your wife. Give me a date. You know that kind of thing. Right, right. It sounds that reminds me of like the childhood thing in the schoolyard. Um, do your parents know that you're gay? Like, right. Exactly. That was what people were saying. It's like exactly. Yes or no, like you're still answering a question that may or may not be true. Like you've got to have more, you got to give more explanation here. You got to right. be allowed. To. That's what I was doing with chat GPT with the dinosaurs thing, right? At first, of course, I was like, oh, of course dinosaurs didn't use credit cards. They're prehistoric reptiles. What are you talking about? And then right. you kind of like chip away at it a little bit and like, right. oh, so so you're saying that dinosaurs had a heart, like would have to have a hard time holding it in its claws. And no, it didn't, didn't even have those kinds of financial transactions. You know, it's, 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 what are you talking about? Humans came up with that. These are, these are primitive creatures. Oh, I get it. They're primitive. So you're saying like they wouldn't really mortgage their houses, but if they charge anything, it'd be for like their basic necessities. And then eventually it's like, yes, if it charged anything, it would be its basic necessities. Like, <laughs> I like you want, you know? Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's it's interesting. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need the humans are gonna have to be more aware um, going forward and um, how they're utilizing AI when AI, knowing when AI is being used and make sure that the human element is is in there and doing our research. Right, it's going. It's not going anywhere. It's coming everywhere. So that could be the poll question of the week. I guess as it relates to this in particular, right? Mm. Because we're seeing it now. Right. So I guess the poll question of the week is, are you concerned about artificial intelligence writing legislation that is currently in the New York State legislature? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good question to ask. Because it's yeah, we're gonna see it more and more. Everyone's on it. Everyone's going to be on it next year, even more so. The year after that, even more so. As these things even get bigger and better, we'll see you know. what role AI plays in a presidential election. If it's going to be writing speeches or doing research, or, you know what it's doing. It's going to be doing something. That's, that's what we don't know yet. Because you know, imagine putting something, and I'm sure they're going to putting uh, something like Auto GPT on a, a specific premise or a promise or a problem or a campaign. Listen, these are what the voters voted for last time. How can, what do I need to do to get through this? What kind of information can you gather? Who should I con this type of stuff, right? Um, and I think people are gonna uh, be moving faster. They're gonna be moving um, more information. It's It's gonna be interesting and scary in many regards. Yeah. Speaking of interesting and scary, what's up with the YouTube comment section? YouTube comment section. Yes, that's back. That's actually to the poll. So as yeah. as we break off of the poll that we just did for this week, we had the poll last week, which was, do you agree with the 
recent Supreme Court decision ending affirmative action. Now, we knew that this was going to be something that people would want to chime in on. Lightning right? rods. Yes, this is that. This is that. Uh, this is that topic. And so I, if I remember correctly, I did predict that the conservatives were going to come out the woodwork. And uh, that's YouTube, right? It's really interesting to me to look at the different social media platforms and how they all have their inherent biases, right? Like it seems like you get more of that on YouTube and not Instagram. Like it seems like Facebook, YouTube, more conservative leaning people on Instagram and Reddit seem to be more left leaning on the whole. Well, I don't know. I think I think in YouTube, you've got a, a wide variety. I think it also depends on the topic. Like. Mm -hmm. We've, we've talked before about like negative being vocal about something negatively is usually more done than positively right so right. people want to complain about something more than they want to support something the and so, effect yeah right and so i think in this case that's kind of what we're seeing right wouldn't you uh, have people complaining about the supreme court case then you would think but i think you know this this conservative voice is is much much louder um in that on regard YouTube. i mean the same thing about you know reproductive rights last year right same song right. and dance why wouldn't the people who who disagree with that supreme court case including myself yeah. why wouldn't we be the the most vocal on it I, I think i think that could be maybe one of the inherent issues maybe in that progressive or liberal side is maybe they don't go as hard as some of the 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 counterparts for for their point Right. I don't Maybe. think that's true. You think you think that generally speaking, people on that side are quieter? I think people on both extremes are loud. They're loud, but I mean, if we see more conservatives going crazy, and it's a lot of craziness, but they're willing to put in that that effort and willing to say say what they're saying. Maybe that needs to that energy needs to be matched. Like again, why? It's I think it, it is. I don't know though. I, I kind of feel like it is matched. I just feel like it it's dependent on the platform a lot of the times and obviously you have people of all stripes on all platforms but i do see trends even when we do these polls and we put the same poll question on different platforms it's almost always that the more left-leaning take is prevalent on instagram and reddit than it is on facebook and youtube it could be uh, i i don't know i just um a lot has to do with I, demographics also also like i think facebook's demographics are increasingly older they're definitely older. Um, they're definitely older. But I think and, and Facebook's demographics also has to do with who's in your friend group. Mm -hmm. right? So that that's a little different. Whereas we're in something like what we're doing with YouTube. It's yeah. it's open to people who might be connected to the topics that we're putting out. That is so true. People who my are Instagram, though, is also people who follow me if it's my Instagram page. Right. And I'm seeing the difference on my Instagram versus my Facebook. Right. So. so and it could be it could be the um the difference as far as like youtube versus instagram with youtube you're sort of anonymous unless you're putting up videos where instagram you've got pictures of yourself you've got right. you've got pictures of your family and your peers so you're not as anonymous maybe you're going to be less reckless with the words or maybe less reckless with your opinion versus a youtube where you can be anonymous and just say whatever you want to say so yeah, I think that some of that might factor into it as well. That's the Reddit effect, right? When you see a post on Reddit, Reddit it's the same thing. It's more anonymous. Right. I think it's also more younger, younger on the average. Yeah. And so maybe that's why it skews more to the left 
I, yeah, I don't know, but I do find that fascinating that you do you do have that. Obviously, it's not universal. I mean, there are pockets of people of all political stripes everywhere, but it just seemed like that's a trend. Yeah, well, they came with well, the conservatives came out in droves on uh, on this poll. And uh, so we ended up with uh, the most views of any of the polls. This is like uh, right now it's at like six point three. Uh, it's like six three hundred views uh, in the past five days, and we got a ton of comments. I would say ninety nine percent of them agree with the Supreme Court decision. Wow! Um, and it comes down to fundamentally maybe under, misunderstanding how affirmative action works. Comes down to stereotypes about it. Um, a lot of people calling it a racist policy because it's discriminating against. Uh, one people over another person or another group of people um and so they they were very vocal about it you know um we got one or two that just i disagree with it um but yeah almost almost uh 99 just saying yeah we agree 100 percent, thousand percent yes 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 uh, i challenged a few of them to, yeah. to give me why right I was going right. to ask, did we have a similar poll on the Supreme Court decision last year about reproductive rights? I would be curious to see what kind of responses on YouTube we saw on that one versus this one. Um, I think we did. We, I mean, we did have a poll. Uh, I don't remember what the responses were, but I, um, I'd have to look that up. Um, but we did have a poll on that. Um, I did ask people, like, what was their... To, to to back up their opinion right because yeah. just saying yes to no doesn't really give us a lot to go on and doesn't get people to voice what they're saying so for example one said yes that type of racist public policy never should have been implemented and so i asked how was it racist and they came back with giving a group an advantage based upon their race is the precise definition of racism just like denying a group access to something based upon their race is racism so to unpack that, that goes back to what I was saying last week. I think that was one of the shorts that we put up. If you believe that everything is already equal, right. then anything you do to try to correct that is going to be seen as an injustice in itself because everything is already good. It's like trying to fix something that isn't broken to you, right? So I think they use the words, give one group an advantage over another group. They're looking at it like no corrective action is needed because you're, you're, you're basically taking something that's like a flat surface and now you're making it not flat as opposed to trying to flatten the surface that already isn't flat, right? You're on mute. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that that's, I, I saw that a lot, right? Um, I saw people, uh, other things, uh, they're saying the law was unjust um there was a lot of people but well, one one person was like since i'm not racist yes i agree with it um and so my my response is you seem to be you seem to be saying you think affirmative action discriminate against other groups what do you think it discriminated against and how do you think it worked and so they put i know all in caps that affirmative action discriminates against racial groups. That's how it works. It discriminates against one racial group in favor of another. That's the entire point. That's why it's racist. Are you saying it doesn't work that way? Mm -hmm. And that also, I think, correlates to what the 
majority opinion in the Supreme Court case said, which was that in college admissions, affirmative action is a zero-sum game. So if you're doing anything to try to help one group, you're inherently hurting another group. Whereas the dissent didn't look at it that way. They looked at it like you're actually uplifting everyone by improving the integrity of our institutions. Right. Um, and, and so that's, you know, where a lot of people, where a lot of people were at, I think. And, and another one that can't, kept coming up was, um, I did, we did get one that was, that was against it. Person said, sounds fine after they assure that all students have the same chance in an education, which in the USA, they don't. So, um, so they came up with it. Um, and that's what you have to look at. You have to look at the opportunities that students have before they get to college. Where are they coming from? What kind of public schools? What kind of schools are they in? Are they even, you know, able to go to uh, private schools or get fancy tutors? Or do they, have, do they have these same opportunities, these programs even, that are right. available in, in certain areas? You know, but if it's lacking in, in those areas, what are you doing to try to correct that? Or, or I mean, it's, you have to come from a place of extreme privilege or at least turn turn a blind eye to it to say, you know what, things are fine the way they are. We don't need to do anything to try to increase opportunities that some just aren't getting. I mean, either, right. either, you, think, either, either you think that that's okay, that some people don't have those opportunities, or you're just unaware that some people don't have, and, and you think that everything is just equal already. I don't know if they're unaware. I think, so. I think a larger portion is more of a... Of a a blatant disregard for a willful ignorance of mm. i mean i think there's ample evidence um in in the country over decades over generations that it's not being done fair fairly you know i think that that answers the question yeah, um it's out there what's her what's her name jane elliott um and her blue eyes brown eyes experiment that she would do mm. um I remember one time she was on a, a talk show and she was she was, you know, talking about um, race and whatnot. And she said, she said, is there any white person here who would change uh, positions with a black person in this country? And no one raised their hand. And she's like, if you think it's everything is equal and fair. Then why would that you know that should be an well, issue but the that, fact that yeah. you didn't raise yeah. your hand shows that you know how black people are being treated in this country and you want no part of it for yourself what year was that you know um she probably did that that particular one was probably sometime in the 90s she's been doing this since the 60s yeah. since martin luther king got shot um but, i know that there are people now and i don't know if they're being disingenuous or not but there are white people that I see saying that they would trade places today with the black person in a heartbeat because they say black people get all the benefits now. Well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, um, that's why I'm, sure, I'm sure some people, some people believe, yeah, some people definitely believe in, believe that. Um, that's I why I'm curious, like what all these people on YouTube are saying, you know, I'm not racist, so I agree with the decision. Do they really believe that inequality is not an issue anymore like do they do they think that everyone pretty much is on a level playing field or do they you know take to take a step further do they believe that that people of color actually have a leg up in today's world or today's america i think some of them are, are, are misguided in that way um and and that let's let's take the nuance into it and say if you're looking at 
I can see if you are a white male and you're looking at the news and you're looking at everything and TV and, and what's going on and everything is coming up about something to support, um, you know, people of color, something to support LGBT, something to support women, something to do. And, and it's all focused on that. It's all you're seeing. And you're like, well, you know, what about me? I'm, I'm not in the greatest place either. I can see some people taking that and being like, they've got it better than I have it. I could see that if, number one, you turn on the TV and that's all you see. And number right. two, you just came out of a coma a minute before turning on the TV. That was like yeah. a 30-year coma. I, yeah. But see, here's the thing is we can turn on TV and you can say 60, 70% of everything is is white males, Right. But if you are looking at it from white straight males, if you're looking at it from the point of view that, um, you know, we're seeing, okay, there's not a lot of diversity in this and that, then you say, okay, there's an issue here, or there's some kind of unbalance here. But if your baseline is, this is what is the normal, then all you're seeing is the people talking against it. And then you, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm being discriminated against. Why are they talking against it, though? If you're talking about trying to help groups that have been historically and currently disenfranchised and systemically oppressed, why is your gut reaction to think helping someone else is hurting me? Because they're taking spots that you could have had, that you should have had. That's their, their idea. The idea is like, and it's, it's like, you know, the people say, you know, uh, equality is not pie, right? If one right. person gets a piece, doesn't mean you don't get a piece. It's not a but zero it, sum game, right? The concept right. of equality is not zero. So now, I, to be fair, I understand how in the context of college admissions, you can make the argument that it's a little bit more relevant because there are a certain number of seats. And so, right. you know, if you're taking away a certain number from one group, then th there are fewer seats that, you, that are available to you. Right. And that's if you leave out the context that in practice that it's so much more easier to get those seats in the first place if you're, if you're part right. of that, that one group. So you can see where some people might be misguided in this way, especially if they're already feeling pressures of other things in their life and they're looking for some blame for whatever the situation is. And then someone's like, hey, well, it's because of those people in this and because they're putting too much focus on these people and put too much this and that. Like, what about you? Why, why are you getting left out? Some yeah. people can be led down that path, right? Right. So, and to be real, I agree that sometimes we don't, and when I say we, I'm really more talking about people in office and people in power, but there's too much of an emphasis sometimes on what they call identity politics and hmm. just as in terms of messaging, right? Because it does right. make people feel left out. And I think there are ways to achieve those same outcomes that we seek without using such divisive messaging all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. Um, and what that does at the same time, you know, on the on the flip side is that is it, it kind of doesn't recognize that the condition is that what we're fighting against is is the norm and it shouldn't be right. The people mm -hmm. these that this specific group and this specific portion of this group has for a long time experienced advantages that they shouldn't have had over others when it should have been an equality issue whether it's whether it's minorities whether it's you know women 
well, you know, right. whether it's immigrants, right? You've had this position, you've held this for this long time when it should have been something fairer. Um, and so but when we're talking about these these things and we're saying, well, we need to do this for, for immigrants, we need this for, for people of color, we need to do this for, for women, um, and we're leaving out and not saying, okay, well, we have to address this group, it's, it's because we already understand that this group has had this advantage. Right. But that group isn't hearing it because it's normal for them. Right. But I'm saying the policy can even be the same, but the yeah. way of talking about it can be more inclusive. I mean, if you basically talk about this notion of fairness, of equality, of making sure everyone has access to the same opportunities, people don't viscerally uh, reject those premises, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can start talking about the policy and then maybe have a bit of a debate about what the policy should be. But if it's framed more in terms of, like the dissent put it, this is about improving the integrity of our institutions on the whole. Now, who can disagree with that as an idea? We can get more into the nuances of it, maybe disagree with some of the implementations of it. But the way you talk right. about it does start to matter. Yeah. And, and that leads to people having these negative reactions, right? Like, oh, it's all racist. Sometimes it's about just the way you talk about it. Yeah, and we've we've talked about that in, in regards to the differences sometimes between liberals and conservatives or Republicans and Democrats. Sometimes it's just the way that you say it. Yeah. Um, and and but and to be fair, I can see the point where some would say if you're doing it that way, you're catering to these people who have these these um, racist or these. Uh, why not? Well, yeah, but are you though? I mean, beliefs. because you're catering to to basically soothe their ego. Right, you're soothing their fragility, so to speak, because you're you're making allowances for like, oh, well, we, we're taking care of you too, but you know, but the, so those allowances weren't the there in the first place. Who could disagree with the idea that equality is something to strive for? I mean, you're not saying we're people. Are you people. kidding? A lot of people can agree with that. Abraham Lincoln disagreed with that. What are you talking about? Abraham Lincoln disagreed. About yeah. What? He, he said that, he said black people were not equal to white people. So yeah, we should free them, but I'm in no way saying that they're equal to white right. people. No, are you kidding? Yeah, he was trying yeah. to hedge. He was trying to hedge yeah. with his debating Douglas, right? Yeah, there are definitely people who would believe, who would balk at saying equality. It's a dirty yeah, word to a lot of people. You don't think that's a more inclusive message, though? I think I think yeah, I, I think it can be. Um, I uh, I think this might end up being a we might just be talking about an exercise and talking to the public as if it's chat GPT and trying to trying to make it come to the right conclusion that we want it to come to, mm -hmm. like talking to a conservative and, and try to, uh, you know, bring them about and be like, well, you know, maybe we should, what about this way? Isn't it this, isn't it like this and try to bring them to that conclusion. But some people are going to have just straight cognitive, cognitive dissidence, you yeah. know, like, um, I don't know if it was you. No, it wasn't you. Someone sent me, Recently, uh, a group of flat earthers devised this experiment to prove that the earth was flat. And so they, they set up that they had a, a light, a flashlight on one end, and then they had incre at increasing distances, they had these planks with holes in them. And so the idea was that the light should be um, straight all the way through at the other end if the earth wasn't flat. I mean, if the earth is flat, right? If it's curved, then they would they should have to hold the light up a little bit higher to be seen through the hole and so in their own experiment they it showed the curvature and mm. they still rejected that right. opinion even right, though they're looking right, at it right. and it was their own experiment right so 
This is a, yeah, I guess but, a and you're always going to have outliers, so you're never going right. to be able to get everyone right. But right. that shouldn't stop us from, I think, seeking better messaging and better understanding, bringing sure. people in. And you know, a lot of people are just misguided, and they're yeah. easily led down the wrong path. And we're not doing ourselves any favors by allowing them to go that way without basically showing them something that would appeal to them, right? right. Because there are people who can be led down the wrong path, but who shouldn't be led down the wrong path. I mean, it, I don't right. think we should just write everyone off as well. You know, they, right. they made the Supreme Court decision, therefore they can't be saved. I mean, you know, right. why did they come to that place? Are they inherently bad people or were they misinformed? Were they just bombarded with messages that just hit them the wrong way and really aren't the right way to say it? You know what I mean? Like, I think we could be doing better at messaging. Again, the policy doesn't have to differ that much. You know, when I was running for city council, I proposed a uh, universal broadband in New York City. Now, I got people from all political stripes on board with that idea, but it would be easy to alienate people if I described it in certain terms, right? You, you could easily see how more conservative thinkers would think, oh, this is a government takeover of our private business. This is more socialism. And, you know, I could easily lose people. It's the handout. Right. If I start talking about it like that. But if I start talking about, wait a minute, this is better for competition. This is actually good for capitalism. Whether you're, you know, if, if you are a capitalist, this is good for you too, because now it's more competition. And we know you get better services and, and cheaper prices when you have this competition. And, and you know, there are ways to talk about things that appeal to more people. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think the response should be what well, you're just catering to bad people. No, because there's, there are a lot of people who are going to hear these messages and take them all different ways. And I think some of them can come into it with good intention, but can be corrupted or can be led down the wrong path if they're constantly bombarded with these messages that hit their ear the wrong way. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And we, and we, we saw that um with the obamacare fight right? right i saw that a lot with the obamacare fight. and he tried to in that in that vein he tried to make messages that appealed to everyone look look everyone's going to benefit here you know um but some people were just so staunch against it with yeah. this idea of either like you said maybe a government takeover of something or a, it's yeah. a handout someone's getting something uh, that they shouldn't they shouldn't get so to work you speak home. about it social security is very popular now right i mean what is that you know it, it's now it's like it's because it's been sold and people have have relied on it and it's been it's been a, a safety net for the middle class and then all of this like people have come to love it and accept it. Obviously, there was a big fight over it. It was in the Supreme Court, it's still, but people still right. It's still a very popular thing, even though it is a big government program. And you can see how something like that, if you were to introduce it today, it, it depends on how you talk about it in terms of the support that you're going to get. Messaging yeah. is, is paramount. It's very important. In, in terms of generating support. And I don't think we should like be snobby and then say, well, you know, they, they're just idiots if they don't agree with it. I, I think it is right. us to sell it to the people. And the government is supposed to represent all of the people. And right. so you aren't supposed to be leaving people out. And and that's fundamentally what we're talking about. We're talking something like affirmative action was supposed to correct this notion that people were and have been left out. Right. And so right. It shouldn't be a matter of, well, we're going to punish one group or we're going to pick one group over another. It should be a matter of striving for equality for everyone. And yes, that means given the context, given the history, given the situation, that right. means uh, trying to correct some of these injustices that do persist. Right. And, and and I get the sense, I mean, especially in a lot of the answers that came through from the poll, that there was a lot of misinformed people um, that were led down a wrong path. Maybe they, you know, were talked to differently about it. Maybe it came from previous prejudices, you know, generation generationally, right? Because this has been around for, you know, 
what, 40, 40 years or something more than that at this point, 60 years, something like that. Um, and so they're going to hear messages generationally that could have been wrong from the beginning. It could have stemmed from an original prejudice. Right. So I, I got the sense that a lot of people were just quite misinformed about affirmative action, um, what it what it did, what it was put in place for, how it helped. Um, you know, for example, they're talking. A lot of the points that were brought up was that it was a racist practice, that it was uh, something that put one racial group over another, when in reality, the the biggest group that benefited the most from affirmative action were white women. So mm. if you're taking that point that, and generally people are saying it's a racist practice, were white people, but the big, biggest benefit were white women. So is how is it racist at that point? They're not so, it's sexist, they're just talking about the race. What? They weren't saying it was a sexist practice. They're only focusing on the right. component. Right, right. <laughs> it kind of glitched in this in the in the the volume there. It sounded like you said Texas. They're not they're not saying oh. Texas, they're saying the race. I'm like, wait, why does that how does that fit? <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. And that, and that's the point, right? Um so I, I I found a lot of people that were misinformed. Um a couple of people were able, were were willing to go back and forth. Um, you know. I don't think there was any minds changed or whatever. Um, there was another point that did keep coming up, and I know we've been on this for a minute, but it was that um, the point about merit. So, yes, yes, I agree. It should be based on merit. Good luck to everyone who works hard to try to reach their goals. Um, another one saying that, uh, where was that? There was a lot having to do with test scores and, and merit. Um, and so that was another thing that people were looking at looking at in regards to this. And I wonder if they were aware that prior to affirmative action, it was very difficult for someone, even with good test scores, to get into a school like Harvard if you belong to one of these underrepresented groups. Right. I, I don't know if they were aware. You know, another guy said, yes, if you can't make the grade, then you haven't earned that right. So... Again, I think it's one, and we had this this conversation. One, from my knowledge, the law never specified anything about your test scores or whatever, right? There may be at some schools it may be practiced a certain way, where you know you telling me about you know certain, certain law schools and whatnot that showed that you know certain underrepresented groups didn't have to hit the same the same uh, evaluation mark as as other groups. Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't part of the law. That may have been in no, practice. But the law is that what was that schools could take race right. into account. They couldn't be a quota right. system or anything like that, but it could be one right. factor, right? Right. In determining emissions. Right. So yeah. So I mean, yeah, we get a lot of response here. So yeah. I mean, I well, saw one person saying that that. And on average, Asian students needed to score higher, up to 273 points higher to be accepted by Harvard as opposed to Black and Latino students. Now, this is uh, a misinformation point that's that's quite per uh, pervasive. Um, there was a study at uh, Georgetown that showed that that wasn't true and that even if they found that if the test scores only were used, that Asian enrollment would only increase by like 2%. There were other factors because admissions is, is quite a complicated process. It's not just the test scores. It has to do with your extracurricular activities. It has to do with some volunteer activities. It has to do yeah. with other different things. And a lot of cases, 
what they were seeing was that Asian students were scoring particularly high on testing, but they weren't that's doing so well on other aspects. But see, and that's where law school and probably some other types of grad programs differ because in law school, for example, you do have those soft factors, they call them, but they really don't weigh into it that much, right? Someone with higher scores will almost always get in over mm. some of the lowest scores, no matter what your extracurriculars were. They really only matter more at the margins. Like if you have two students with identical scores, well, this guy did some more volunteering or whatever, right? right? But really it does come down to your scores. And I think what we saw for Harvard Law, I think they said the average LSAT score was 174 for most students, but it was 168, I think, for underrepresented minorities. So that's not a 200 point swing. You're talking what, from 168 to 174 is what, eight points? Right. No, that's a couple, a couple questions, a couple questions, maybe. Right. Now, the LSAT yeah. is scored up to 180. And so it is pretty significant. I'm not going to say it's nothing. Right. But, you know, it, it's not a huge leap either. Right. And, and again, like that, that also, you know, context does matter. Like if the idea is to make a more diverse lawyer body. Um, I, now, I do, I will say, I can see an argument there. Why would the the numbers be less for minority students or underrepresented students that can say, oh, well, we're, we're, we're saying that we don't think you can hit the same number as other people. Uh, so we're going to lower the bar for you. So I can see that argument with people saying, well, that's not fair. I can mm -hmm. see that argument. Um, and then well, I also see the argument that maybe they didn't have the same resources right. as other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I get that. Point. Yeah. I mean, the, the only reason why the bar was lowered was because the amount of those underrepresented students that got into the schools wasn't matching the, the percentage that they made of the, of the population. That's why they're underrepresented, right? right? If it's you know percent right. of a certain group in a population, more than two percent in the school, then you have a disparity there. Right. Yeah. So I can see how that point though could be could be poked at and create create a debate on. I can I could understand that, you know. So yeah, and you did see like you know like I was telling you you had this kind of almost perverse effect where the underrepresented minorities in a law school usually fell behind as compared to other students because they were admitted with lower scores on average. Because if you got a higher score, you would be going to a better school than the one you were in. It was like, you're always like behind in your school because of that effect. Mm, mm. You know, unless you got an elite score and you got into the best school, right? Then there's nothing that could be above you. And then that, that does kind of play into and confirm that you know what a lot of minorities say is that they have to be uh better to mm -hmm. get the same outcome right so if if they had worse resources coming in they are able to get in and now they're behind that means they have to work a little bit harder in order to get to the same level they have yes they have to work harder and that affirmative action was an attempt to try to correct Right. The effect of them not having the same opportunities and them really coming into it disadvantaged. Right, right. So. So there you go. One thing I want to say before we wrap up, I know we talked about legacy emissions last yeah. week, and I didn't want to make the point. I, I didn't really have time to make the point from a constitutional 
perspective, there is a difference there. And I understand there have been lawsuits on that point. So we'll have to see how they're argued. But you can't make the same exact argument on the Equal Protection Clause or the Civil Rights Act, right? Because the case we looked at last week about affirmative action looked at using race as a factor. And when you do that, it's subject to what they call strict scrutiny, meaning it needs to meet a compelling government interest and it needs to be narrowly tailored. It has to be the least restrictive means of meeting that interest. It's, it's very tough. It's, it's, it's presumptively unconstitutional. And the burden is on the school in this case to prove that it's necessary. When you're talking about something like legacy, you're, now you're not making an argument on racial discrimination. Now you're saying that, you know, someone's family member got in and now they're getting an unfair advantage. Well, that is not a protected class, right? Someone's someone getting into school because of, a, of, of having um, a family member who is also in a school. That's not discrimination on the basis of race. You can make an argument that, you know, maybe some maybe maybe disproportionately more of these legacy emissions are white. I mean, that's that's certainly probable. Right. But uh, the the discrimination that you're challenging here is not inherently on the base of race, and therefore it isn't going to be subject to that heightened constitutional review. It's only going to have to meet a rational basis review, meaning that it's presumptively constitutional, and the burden is on the people challenging it to prove that it's not. It's, it's flipped around. Um, and it's a very deferential standard. Basically, they just have to show it's rationally related to a legitimate purpose, and they can really get away with almost anything under that standard. Right. And I think we also mentioned, well, I don't know, if maybe it was in the uh, after discussion that um, it's it's it wasn't it's not a rule. Right. That legacy admissions get in like this is it may be being done in practice, but it's probably not written down in print. And so it's a little bit hard to pin down that. OK, well, this is, you know, this is what they do. And this is the 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 rule of the school. And so I think it makes it a little bit more difficult to prove. Yeah. Because when we talk about a lawsuit, we're really talking about what the rule should be. What actually happens might be a different. Right. I mean, you know, you could have a rule. You could have the Supreme Court saying this is what you must do, <laughs> but then you might have people doing what, the, what they're going to do anyway. You know? I mean, the Constitution: all men are created equal. We know yeah. that's not being practiced in that way. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, so it's it's going to be a little bit harder to pin down. I think it's a good thing that they're bringing it that to have that discussion if they can make the make the argument. Um, to bring that to light, because I mean, there's evidence in practice that this is how it's done, even though it's not the rule. So there might be a point there to hold on to. Um, but yeah, you know, and, you know with a, a good lawsuit and you do your discovery and you, you get to a certain point, you may be able to establish that this is the practice of the school. I mean, I don't know how much they're really trying to hide it. Right. Yeah. You know, I have um, documents saying that, yes, we give preferences to people with this legacy. You know, to be out there. So yeah, we'll see. Well, also, for all we know, it could be some of these these policies. Maybe they're not trying to hide it at all. Maybe some schools do say that. Yes, you know, we're we're not ashamed to admit that. If you had a grandparent or a parent who went here, we're gonna give you preference. You know, that could be something that's really in plain sight. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we'll 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 see here um how this plays out. You yeah. Know, still think it's a shame that you know we've lost that um affirmative action option vote um so it's all, you know, so we gotta do we gotta vote <laughs> and organize yeah i can see the despair rolling in yeah oh know. yeah yeah i mean we look at the last 10 years um actually that's it's we can even go further back than that but we're looking at you know the loss of uh 
the, the Voting Rights Act stuff. We're looking right. at um, how they're constantly trying to overturn the health care stuff. We're looking at this, this with the uh, attack on on history and banning books and turning over affirmative action, looking at the loss of uh, reproductive uh, arguments. Um, it seems very much that the conservatives are winning at every turn. Well, here is my attempt at the bottom line. <laughs> I would pull this all together. Um, uh -oh. How about we don't pull it all together? The bottom line is don't give in to despair. Don't let AI take everything over and don't be manipulated. Walk away from the relationship you don't like. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Well, three or four fortune cookies in one. All right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So for those who are watching, listening, um, again, you can check us out on YouTube at Nuance Show, um, YouTube and Instagram at Nuance Show. Uh, the podcast, the audio of this will be made available uh, everywhere podcasts are at, including, we keep pointing it up, including YouTube podcasts. It would, however, that's different from regular YouTube. I don't know, but it's an option on there now. Um, so, yeah. Leave your leave your comments, leave your opinions, argue, yell at us, tell us we're wrong, tell us we're right, whatever you whatever you want. Engage in the discourse. The main importance is to look at the nuance of it. And respect boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. As always, we've got work to do. Catch you next time. <laughs>